I will take a little warm up before I introduce Alpesh the right way. And uh, the reason I, I normally do that is because uh, there are a lot of credentials uh, as far as Alpesh is concerned. And so to that extent, I need to build a nice little momentum and then introduce him, although he's visible on, on screen. But just a preamble before I get uh, give a full introduction of uh, Alpesh. All of us are witnessing the current pandemic. I think the, the COVID-19 has brought in a new urgency to some of corporate India's long-standing challenges, and more so in the BFSI industry. The current COVID-19 pandemic has not only heightened uncertainty for the economy, the employment, finances, etc., including the change, most importantly, in consumer behavior. How does one shape the next normal for the BFSI industry in strategic direction, in financial resilience, leadership succession, organizational culture, risk management, and more importantly, sustainability. The companies which act now to address these priorities could emerge stronger from the crisis. The key priorities, therefore, that needs a closer look, in my mind, are making balance sheets and cost structures more resilient, reshaping business portfolios for greater value creation, embedding digital and analytics to transform legacy businesses and build new ones, building greater safety, flexibility, and productivity into operations. Dear friends, I've been looking forward to today's interaction, as you all know through the promos which have been running on social media, who the guest of today's interaction is. But let me give the introduction a bit of spiel a small trivia to start today's session. We all know that Henry Ford was a great industrialist, founder of the Ford Motor Company, and innovator of the development of assembly line technique of mass production. He was not the inventor of, of the automobile, which is generally accredited wrongly to him. However, he manufactured an affordable automobile for many middle-class Americans. He and his company famously introduced the Model T automobile, which revolutionized American industry and transportation. However, many of you know that Henry Ford was very close to Edison, yes, Thomas Alva Edison, the famous inventor himself. Ford considered himself, uh, considered him as a sounding board. In fact, in his early days, Ford had a meeting with Thomas Edison where Edison approved of his automobile experimentation, which gave a huge encouragement to Ford and convinced him of going ahead with his famed invention. Our esteemed guest today, Alpesh, today is regarded as the industry doyen, and many of us in the industry have been seeking his insight and advice as a sounding board for many new innovative business models. Today, Alpesh Shah leads Boston Consulting Group's India office. He has extensive experience in the insurance, financial services, telecommunications, and technology sectors in Asia, and more specifically in India. Across the Asia-Pacific region, Alpesh has assisted a variety of banks, finance and insurance companies, and telcos on topics, including and ranging from segment-specific strategy development, portfolio analysis, new business launch, breakout growth strategy development, pricing, channel effectiveness, operational efficiency, and I can go on, cost management and reduction, post-merger integration, business divestiture, and implementation support. He's also the author of many reports and topics, including insurance, payment, digital lending, and the India internet economy. He's also a member of the FICI Insurance Committee and the CI Asset Management Committee in India. And prior to joining BCG in 2000, he was associated with, the, he was associated with Booz Allen and Hamilton. So this, ladies and gentlemen, is Alpesh for you. But above all, I mean, all these credentials matter. But as a, as a, as a human being, he's one of the finest human beings that I've interacted with, and that's the best way to describe Al Alpesh as a person. So welcome on board, Alpesh, and uh, today what we will do is possibly understand you a little initially, and then understand the economy, and then get into the BFSI industry, and finally look at some leadership attributes. Within a one-hour framework, it is impossible for us to cover the entire gamut of the BFSI industry. We may have to have multiple more sessions with you. But the attempt is to try and capture as much as, as we can from, from, from you in terms of what do we see as the next normal for the BFSI industry. 
So let me start asking you a few questions. Uh, first question is about yourself. What has been the motivating factor to stick on to the consulting part of the business for almost two and a half decades? Did you ever think of switching gears and actually take on an operating role in a, and managing a company? I mean, two and a half decades is, is quite a long in the consulting. So what 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 drives you? Quite interesting, Suresh. Uh, so as you said, it's been 25 years. And uh, yes, I have thought multiple times of, sort of stepping out and doing something, as you said, more on the operation side. Uh, but I don't know whether you know, there's this very old saying, I think Confucius said this, if I'm not mistaken, saying those who cannot do teach. And I have expanded that to say those who cannot teach consult. Right? Because it's just, a, uh, it's just been a fabulous roller coaster journey. I have enjoyed the last 25 years. Along the way, I have looked at uh, saying, do I want to do something else? Uh, but each time, there's something within what I'm doing that has held me back. And uh, I'm here. So I hope someday I will still get onto the other side and you know, be on the operating side as well. But right now, here it is. I'm still with, uh, you know, with consulting. Perfect. So if, if I were to ask you one more question on the, on, on the consulting side itself, if I were to ask you typically, what was the most difficult consulting assignment that you have ever done? And uh, what would be your pick? I mean, two and a half decades, I'm sure you would have done a dime or dozen. I'm sure you've lost track. But what would be your most difficult one? So it's, it's difficult to pinpoint one. But Suresh, if I think about it, I would say, I'll tell you the kind of ones which have been difficult. So for example, you know, when you were introducing me, you mentioned post-merger integrations, right? So I was a, you know, the first integration that I did, and I will not name the organizations, but I was looking at two organizations. And I was actually trying to put uh, these two businesses together. And as a part of that, one of the most gut-wrenching parts of that exercise uh, was when you actually had to look at who will retain what jobs. And as you looked at that, it was quite a challenge because you literally had both teams. So if you take the retail banks of both sides or the retail businesses or the corporate businesses or the finance functions, you're actually sitting in a room with the CFOs from both sides, right. looking at the future finance organization. And both of them know that only one of them has a job after this. And the worst part is they believe that I as a consultant have a say in that. Sure. I can understand to the situation. That, having to deal with that whatever you want to call it, responsibility and doing it in the, in the manner which is right for the individuals as well as for the organization, I would say is the most uh, uh, gut-wrenching experience. Then over time, you start getting, I would say, more used to it. But even now, when you have to go through such uh, situations, I would tell you it's the toughest, uh, toughest thing to do. And I'm sure you must have done quite a lot of these kinds of, you must have encountered a lot of these situations. Unfortunately, you encountered a lot of these situations. So I know, I can understand. No, it's a, it's a, it's a lovely example. Moving forward, Alpesh, uh, I know you must have been asked this question a hundred times. And I think all of us are very keen to understand what's happening to the economy. COVID is a, uh, it's become a verb. It keeps coming in every, every single conversation. We've all witnessed what a shock COVID has induced uh, to the economy and business as a whole. Uh, globally, we're witnessing the GDP per capita also shrinking. How do you see business activities evolving from this phase and are you seeing any green shoots in the economy in coming times do you see any shape any kind of a v, v recovery or a prolonged period of economic and business stress and uh, and every month it seems to be evolving but uh, coming in from a from a broader perspective where do you see all this going because you've been interacting with multiple industries multiple uh, so let me start with the caveat, Suresh, and then I will come to your uh, question, right? And the caveat is that there are only two kinds of people in this world. Category A, people who do not know what is going to happen. And so mm -hmm. I'm in that category. I don't know exactly what is going to happen. So I will try to look at the crystal ball and say, what do I believe, basis judgment, where this is headed, and hence what we can do to sort of try and, I would say, minimize the pain or you know, maximize the outcomes. And I joke, but there's a category B of people who do not know that they do not know. So they sure. go around telling the world exactly what will happen. So I, I would like to be in category A and hence with that pinch of salt, bucket of salt, uh, I will 
tell you what I think is sort of you know as you said a likely way forward. So as you said, it has been a tough six months, and obviously a tougher first three and a you know a relatively less tough next three. But you know starting from March, if you look at April, May, June, and we've seen the latest India numbers as well. The economy, if you you know look at the numbers, was minus twenty three, minus twenty four percent. That is substantial. You know I think to you know. From a hundred, when we were thought we thought we were going to go to one hundred and five, hundred and eight, to land up at seventy six is actually a you know it's an even shorter right. you know sharper uh, reduction, right? That being said, I also have to tell you that I think corporate India has actually responded incredibly well to the situation. You know, I talked to as you said a large number of uh, businesses, and I look at a track a large number of businesses across. I think this whole work from home, working remotely, many. Organizations were surprised by how well they were able to pull it off, right? And they surprised the rest of the world as well because banks, insurance companies, manufacturing businesses, operations—actually, the world did not come to a grinding halt. The worry was that is it telecom in India good enough? Right? Will we be able to pull off a work-from-home concept? Do people have laptops? They don't. You know what happens? And there was a lot of fear about how much the impact would be on business. i think there has been a massive impact on business because of the lockdown but not because the companies could not address it yes some companies have obviously been able to address it better than the others but i would say kudos to corporate india because we've actually seen the whole country actually pull this off i would say reasonably well so i'd doff my hat at corporate india mm-hmm. as you said if i now took the data and you know we track multiple sectors you know month on month and so april and may were really bad right it literally we fell off the cliff june july i think we started coming back and now if i look at august i would say many sectors are close to between 90 and 95% of what we were even before march this is across industry you think across most industries and i have yes, with a caveat yes. there is a wide dispersion so there are some sectors which are really hurting right and you know there is it's going to take a they are going to see a long haul so for example travel and tourism not surprisingly right is going to see you know airlines hotels you know they are seeing a longer uh, a retracted period so for them coming back to your uvl you know whatever shape you talk about yes. and the whole alphabet yeah. soup in that one correct i think you will see that you know those will certainly see a u right now how long is the u in that is the only or the base of that is the only question correct. but you take out of home entertainment you know with for example you know ipl just started whatever two days back now and my son is a complete freak so you know we used to watch three games every year in the stadium right. and now even if it's a match that we played in india or bombay do i really envisage us being comfortable going to the stadium even if that was allowed the answer is unlikely yeah. right so that's going correct. to take correct. you know movie theaters sport out of home entertainment is also going to take a long time okay and then the third part which is going to take a long time is anything which is either seen as a luxury or is completely discretionary so which is where you're beginning to see automotive for example is hurting because what is happening is while the volumes might come back right people are saying if i was going to buy a car for 100 rupees even why don't i postpone it by 3 months or 6 months or 9 months or why don't i just buy go one level lower and you know buy a car for 75 rupees rather than 100 or 60 right so we're beginning to see that so i think some sectors are really uh, impacted more than the others uh, like i said on the other side you know standard consumer healthcare online you know is really doing very very well so but net net if i look at it i see green shoot certainly in july and august and now is a look at the first half of september uh, but i go back to what i started with you know i do not know what i do not know category a yeah i am in category a and <laughs> you know as you said it, it is evolving continuously correct uh, you've seen for example even the vaccine is facing some challenges so you know it's not as if True. it's a linear True. prediction that is possible uh, but i think that you know we have come back well uh, but it's still a long haul so i think the next four quarters if i look at it are going to be tough and tight so no that you make a very interesting point uh, based on what you said of category a. but coming closer to the bfsi industry and uh, i'm aware that it has been turbulent uh, and for some for some uh, industries within the bfsi much much before the uh, covid itself it was undergoing a lot of problems so the covid limit limitations which has led to business slowdown more so in the fmcg there have been some which have i think been decimated i mean although they one is not seeing it or one is not explicitly explicitly saying it or altered if i can use the word 
and there are some which have really accelerated due to the impact of covid because of the covid outbreak how do you see the bfsi going evolving from here i think you know bfsi itself is a very wide spectrum yeah. right so whether you take which is banking, my next question which i'll get into specific with each but i just so want to give a broad yeah so if you take lending insurance asset management all of them right so i think what has happened so what is the let me take the pros and the cons right so the big negative challenge if i look at it is clearly especially all the businesses which are dependent on physical sales right whether it's life insurance with agency uh, and so on there clearly for the, a few months there was a large hit because in person interactions were reduced so obviously Correct. agents are good entrepreneurs they they figured a way out but it's not still the same as being able to meet people face to face as often right True. so anything to do with face to face interactions has taken a hit in the beating in addition to that i think the other part of that is because certain industries so if you take auto getting impacted then you know obviously insurance for auto and lending for auto obviously gets impacted so when the base asset itself is going slower right. there is a significant impact but that's the negative side but if i look at the positives as you said right uh interestingly over the last few quarters itself you're beginning to see that the financialization of savings has gone up so more money in savings is going towards financial products interestingly right so savings is going up so uh, savings accounts from a banking perspective uh, asset management if you look at the investments there you know they're back uh, you take the savings product from a life insurance perspective all of them are actually beginning to see some tailwinds and support in that so there is clearly a enhancement in the financialization of savings the second is it is forcing to your point the whole acceleration of the digitization of businesses so whether it is digi- digitization of operations digitization of channels digitization of branches digitization <laughs> of uh, agency all of that right whether you call it bionic agency people you know consultants like jargon so you know have all these fancy jargon coming out but all the distribution front end etc is you know there is a lot more technology which is getting adapted and obviously d2c or you know going direct to customer whether it's the adoption of usage of mobiles whether it's the adoption of usage of the internet has just again started accelerating much further in fact as we look at that uh, we do the survey of customers every month now since april since the first in fact in the last week of march and we are seeing that <clears throat> the consumption of financial services on the internet which is either mobile or computers has gone up anywhere between 25 and 45% depending on the product category you look at only in the last okay. 6 months right so if 100 people were using it in february now 145 are using it in august right so it is actually a much rapid acceleration and the same way we've done surveys of agents of branches and branch managers and so on everywhere now companies are recognizing that digital and digitization is clearly very critical and so that is getting accelerated so i think that's what i see Uh, playing out in the uh, but on on the on the issue of digitization and i th- i think the core of the issue is also the execution i think people understand but what of digitization is probably still a myth as, as far as i am concerned uh, is that a fair statement because i think bulk of the execution is still missing i mean people are still thinking whether it should be done there are issues in terms of board level approvals there are issues in terms of ceo understanding the gamu there are the larger management understanding the execution you know responsibility that they have to take what will happen to the core business i mean is, is that a is that a challenge that you see from a consulting perspective when you are interacting because i agree with you i mean it's important to di- to digitize no absolutely you you know i couldn't have said it better Uh, the biggest challenge is in our minds right and uh, i say this with all humility because i am also one of those uh, and i'll tell you what i mean by that but i think you'll see this very interesting situation where i would say for the first time in history uh, you are faced with a situation where people who have who know you know the younger people know more about something than the people with more experience so if i take right. the 25 year olds who join my business Mm-hmm. they know more about digital than i do right mm-hmm. my 18 year old daughter will actually teach me how to use Correct. my iphone because i she tells me you use like 5% of it what you know why do you pay so much for this phone when you don't even use it and she will use at least 30% of it right 
Correct. And the reason I say this is, as a result, exactly to your point, Suresh, I think one of the biggest challenges that the world is faced with, but certainly in, in India and in BFSI, is we have conservative people heading the organization. So it's quite interesting. We have to take the dichotomy. All decision-making rights are with people with a lot of experience. Hmm. By design, hmm. people with experience keep getting promoted. And so you have the 45-year-olds, the 50-year-olds, the 55-year-olds who are all in these decision-making positions. They understand technology and digital less than the 25-year-olds. True, very true. So it's quite fascinating. My daughter tells me, do X. And I look at her and say, but why? There's no, no real value. And she says, well, I'll tell you what the value is, right? Hmm. See that playing out in the organizations. The same thing is playing out in organizations because we, and if I'm, you know, I'm being you know, hard on us, we are in a way partly holding it back. Correct. Because to your point, the CEO, the heads of the businesses don't see as much upside in what technology can do at times. Absolutely. absolutely. And so the best organizations are going to be where you can actually mix the best of both worlds, which is Correct. you get the young Turks who actually have the inspiration, who, the drive. You know, yeah. who have the drive and who have the vision. And you get the not so young ones who have the experience and the wisdom and you have to combine both. I don't know whether you ever saw this movie, The Intern. Yes. Uh, so that's the story. How do you combine the energy of Anne Hathaway with sure. the the wisdom of uh, De Niro, right? Correct. Absolutely. And the organization which can do that well will be laughing all the way to yeah. the bank because the ones that do that well are really going to benefit from this. And I, But I agree with you. Uh, right now, it is still in theory, it is on paper. Correct. Uh, and, you know, people are still talking about it. Uh, and I think... You know, I just saw one of the questions. I will actually take that on as well, saying, could all of this be hype? Uh, Correct. I don't think so. Right. I think there's a, you know, there's this very, uh, I would say, interesting saying, which has been made famous by Bill Gates, where mm -hmm. he says, in the short term, you always overestimate what technology will do. Right. Correct. But in the long term, you always underestimate it. Correct. So if somebody was to tell us 20 years back, the internet would be what it is today. I don't think anybody would have believed it. But at that True. point, the dot coin boom, everybody just believed that you didn't get nothing physical. So I agree, at times there is hype around what technology can do. Uh, but there is a real value to what technology can really bring to the table as well. So. Sure. Well, you made a point in terms of the businesses coming back to close to 85-90% in over the last two months. Most specifically from an NBFC perspective, I mean, questions, and which has obviously gone through a lot of uh, turbulence. Exactly. Non-bank finance companies will need to recalibrate their strategies in a post-pandemic world. I'm sure they are, already are. What would separate the winners from the losers? And where are the opportunities for growth? I mean, how will the strategic shifts impact credit growth in the sector? I mean, I know, there's, you know the banking is relatively okay. The insurance, I have a few questions subsequently and ask you. Uh, asset management, you said, because of the savings, it will tend to, savings will move into uh, asset classes which will give you more more uh, more yield. So, but what what specific from an NBFC space and probably even the housing finance all comes under this space. So, I guess the cliched answer would be Suresh, you'll have to pay me for this, but that's what I get paid for. <laughs> uh, but let me try and answer this because it's not a. It's I not shall a I shall I shall refer BCG to multiple options. <laughs> But it's not a simple answer. So, you know, that's why I'm saying yeah. it. Let me take a, share a few thoughts and, you know. Sure. I guess, uh, to your point, right, NBFCs have, you know, even before sort of the COVID situation impacted, because of a couple of NBFCs getting impacted by business, you know, there was already a, I would say, uh, a strain on the NBFCs, right? True. As I look at what they will have to do, I think there are a few things and let me take two categories. Right? First is, where are the opportunities? Right. So if I just start with some of the big trends that are impacting India, independent of COVID first, and then I'll tell you what the impact of COVID has been on that. Right? So the first one is, tier 2, 3, 4 in India is gaining in importance. So if I look at India and fast forward 10 years, you know, the tier 2, 3, 4 cities, for want of a better word, which is literally city number 50 through to city number 400, 500, while that has been growing, that is now growing faster than metros and tier ones. And hence, they will get to a scale where they're going to be really relevant and significant for a large number of businesses. And it's not got to do only with NBFCs. So I'll come to NBFCs in a minute. But I would say, so tier two, three, four is one big wave coming in India. right? So businesses which ride that wave will obviously benefit. The second wave is, 
I think SMB is a wave that has been missed out. You know, small and medium businesses right now, I think, or you know, account for about 28-29% of India's GDP. Correct. For a country like India, it has to be larger. So I actually think that SMB has to get even larger. And as you look at that, that has also been you know, from a, both from an NBFC and a financing perspective, a large part of the, especially the S and the micro, if I take MSME, have typically been funded by the informal uh, businesses or by friends and family. And so there's an entire funding of the micro and the small, which so far has been difficult for the organized, even the NBFCs and the banks to do uh, because of the lack of data. But now as data becomes more prevalent, you know, even with GST, just the number of companies which are coming on to, uh, you know, which have records, et cetera, et cetera, make it a lot more amenable to being served. <clears throat> so I would say the second big wave, if I call it that, is going to be the SMB wave, right? Mm. Or shift, if I call it that. The third one is, if I just take a certain set of customers, which have, again, you know, in India, Financial services are typically not handled segmentation well. So there's one product which you throw out and say, whoever wants this would pick it up. But right. now, last few years, we're beginning to see you know, many companies beginning to ask the question saying, really, who is my customer? What's my offering suited for? And I would highlight two or three segments. Women. You know, people underestimate how important women are becoming. I will tell you one of the proudest moments for me, I, when I, I track data closely, was about 2014. For the first time in the history of India, the number of women joining primary schools exceeded the number of men. Oh, so the number of girls who joined primary schools was greater than the number of boys who joined primary schools in 2014. Okay. As that group comes up, if you fast forward 10 years, this is a segment where you're, you're going to have more women who are educated, who are you know, actually capable of doing many things. As I said, you know, as BCGB conduct this survey uh, of about 25,000 customers every year, one of the biggest elements I would like to highlight in consumer behavior is that in all decision-making, including for financial services, greater than 50% now, and the number is weighted average is 54% of all decisions are taken by women. Okay. And so what you have to realize is, you know, even what was considered a male bastion earlier, buying cars, you know, auto decisions, mm -hmm. investment decisions, it's now between 45 and 60%, it's women. Mm -hmm. right? So okay. how do you think about women? How do you think about the other one is, I would say, aging population. The fastest growing segment in India is 60 plus. Strange as it may sound. Uh, but by design, it, you know, it's obvious. But we will have in India, just hold your breath, Suresh, we will have 350 million people wow. over the age of 50 in the next 10 years. 350 million. You know, we'll have more people than any other country in this yeah. world, but for China. Over 50. So as you just think of the implication for financial services, right? Whether it's uh, savings, whether it's a pension product, whether it is uh, credit for them as they start thinking of what else they want to do, how do you serve this segment? Right? And so as I now think about the, and I'd come back to your question, what does this mean for NBFCs, right? I would say one, how do they start figuring out the opportunity for the aging customers? How do they think about the women? How do they think about youth as well? How do you think about a tier two, three, four segment, you know, geography? How do you think about SMBs? All of these become attractive segments from a five-year and a 10-year point of view, very attractive. And to be able to win in that segment, to your point, the big shift that is happening is digital and data, right? Everybody's talking about it. How will they create straight-through processes? How will they reimagine customer journeys? Right? Nobody wants a loan, right? So if you take, for example, mortgage, do I really want a mortgage? No, but it's a necessary evil for me to buy my home. So as an NBFC, how do you become a part of the customer's journey in the home search process, in the home selection process? How do you become a part? And that is why you see a lot of banks, a lot of NBFCs have tied up with the builders. They've tied up with, you know, uh, the auto companies. They've tied up with the dealers because you want to become a part of the customer's journey. It should not be that you try and sell a loan later because when a customer is buying a car, you know, if you're a part of that journey, you become, it's easier to be, so leveraging technology, leveraging data is going to be the simplest thing for, or the most critical thing for NBFCs to become a part of the customer's journey. And I would say whether it's underwriting, whether it's customer servicing, whether it's sales onboarding, all of that, uh, that is something that NBFCs and banks as well will have to reimagine. And everybody is sort of on the journey for that. So I would say that's what they will have to do. And I, I, I quite agree with you, Alpesh, that I mean, 
there has to be new models that that has to come into play in the BFSI more so in the uh, NBFC space. But whilst you're bringing in those new models which are technology enabled, uh, is there a method in madness? Do you do it all? Do you do it in parts? I mean, what aspect will you impact first? I know everything is revenue generating. So would you look at the distribution landscape? Because at one level you were saying that tier two, tier three, tier four uh, are going to be great hubs of uh, of business. business yeah. More so with the demographics that, that that you just said a little while ago. Is customer service more relevant? Is distribution landscape more relevant? Is profitability relevant? I'm just saying, you know, on an ideal pre-COVID world, Kaltika Nam Gadi, you know, you're doing well, you're getting your month-on-month growth, year-on-year growth, your path is looking good, your market capitalization is looking good, things were fine. And you did a little bit of technology intervention here and there, gave a lot of PR publicity in terms of digitization. But at the end of it all, you didn't do much. And here is a situation which is kind of telling you do, but, you know, one is questioning, should I do now? How will I strike a balance? So where do you see all this dilemma? No, that I and guess. What would uh, you focus on? Suresh, I guess that I guess is, as you said, is the is the key question, right? Which is uh, the chicken or the egg? And in this case, there are multiple chickens and multiple eggs, right? So where Correct. do you start? You know, Correct. what's the right sequencing? Uh, how do you think about the return? Because... Uh, yeah. You know, I'm a big fan of the fact that you do, you can't say let's invest in all of this and you know wait for the returns after three or five years, right? True, true. What technology has done is now break-evens and return timeframes, horizons have all completely shrunk. Shrunk, yeah. You don't look at, you know, I don't think, it's been a long time since anybody's asked me to write a five-year business plan. Hmm. Yeah, it's more two to three years. It's more days. two to three oh, years. Yeah. It's, a, it's yeah, more two to yeah. three years. And if at all, there's a North Star which says, okay, where do I mm-hmm. want to be? It's like a, a vision or a North Star, which says in five years, in 10 years, where do I want to be? Yeah. But it's more the next two to three years, right? Right. So with that to your point, I think, especially in the current context, and I would say you have to, if you're an NBFC business, you have to start with the underwriting of the credit side of it. Right? Because the one thing that can kill your business is risk. Right. Getting 10% lower growth is not going to kill your business. But what can kill your business is getting the risk uh, return trade-off wrong. And the reason I say this is, you know, as BCG, we've actually done a lot of research in these trying times. So when I take any of these downturns, whether it was the 2008-9 global financial crisis or the 2001 dot dot-com bust or the 3-4 SARS pandemic or, for example, the 97-98 East Asian crisis or Southeast Asian crisis, simple empirical data. Uh, think of it, you know, BCG loves 2 by 2 so I'll do a 2 by 2 on the x-axis, just think about it as uh, profit growth. And on the y-axis, think about growth. Right? Mm-hmm. So are you growing faster than you did before the downturn? And are you more profitable than you were before the downturn? Just think of it that way. There's two elements, right? Okay. So if you do the two by two, obviously, BC likes the top right. So top right is saying you grow faster and you have more profits than before the downturn. Interestingly, having seen this across four downturns now, only 14% of the companies fall into that quadrant. Okay. Right. These are what I would say people who are actually benefiting from the downturn. They are making all the right moves, you know, and I will talk about what those right moves could be, right? But how do you get in that 14% what everybody wants to focus on, right? Sure. And that is where, to your point, you have to invest in the balance sheet. And so the way I start is I would say if I had to pick one, first you have to make sure that your risk processes. From an NBFC point of view specifically, right? But your risk processes are bang on. If you get that equation wrong, you're in real trouble. Correct. Once you get that right, then I would invest in the distribution processes. Because then you're saying I can get, you don't want a situation where you get more business and you lose yeah. more money. True. Right? True. So I would say True. in that order, and then at the same time, once you start getting more business, again, most of these are also, you know, you know customer-based businesses, all of these. And so you obviously want to get the customer servicing right as well. So I would say, but in that order, I would start with risk or underwriting. If you're an insurance company, I would then look at acquisition of customers, which is the whole distribution and the onboarding journey. And then I would look at the customer servicing. But again, you can't have a big difference. So you can't say it'll take me two years to do customer servicing after I fixed distribution. But if you ask me to prioritize, that would be my pecking order and priority. Absolutely. See, it's so, so, so nice to talk to a, to a friend and a consultant. You get all this 
good advice and and very very correctly put alpesh and i that's the right way to look at it because once you once you have taken care of your risk profile it's very easy to start expanding yeah, on your, on your distribution footprint and look at customer service so in 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 summation on the next normal for bfs and i have few questions on the insurance and few questions on leadership attributes if you have to articulate based on all that you have said so far the next normal in bfsi what are the three things which will define that so i would say one the first one would be digital but digital at scale correct to your point everybody has been doing bits and pieces i don't think there is correct. any doubt everybody has started the journey right correct but can you really get digital can it be all pervasive in your organization can you do digital at scale and everything from the front end with your agency with your you know online business d2c with your you know right. your insurance company with your bank assurance all of that right so there's a you know a digital at scale the second one is and i will call that out the what we were discussing how do you start take teaching treating your customers as individuals the whole okay. game of customization the whole game of customer segments whether it is women whether it is the aging population whether it is youth whether it's tier 2 3 4 whether it's sme each of them is different you can't throw the same product out and say whoever likes it pick it up correct and the third one if i look at it just the uh, and it's in a way got nothing to do with covid but it's again gotten accelerated in covid is mm-hmm. leveraging data okay right mm-hmm. and i separate it out from digital because i think we underestimate the power of data it has been said that data is the new oil and i couldn't agree more and i don't mean big data i you know i'm not even making this whole noise about big data that's all all you know if i'm being honest even if i just get basic data right correct we already have more data than we you know can use there is so much data already most companies don't even use 10 20% of it can we just start using the data to make better decisions to you know reach out to customers better to engage with customers better if we get those three things right I think we will actually have brilliant businesses. So I think that's a part of uh, no, no, brilliant. So digital, digitization, customization, and leveraging data as possibly the new areas that one need to look at. Now I want to build on those three points, Alpesh, and with specific reference to a, an industry which where I'm pretty familiar and you are very passionate about, which is insurance. And let's talk about technology in insurance and see sure. uh, how 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 does one address that. Now so far technology. and insurance has always been an enabler for most insurers however i feel increasingly insurers will have to make critical technology choices that have a lasting impact on how they conduct business and how they are set up in the long run starting up with the next generation tech function is critical for insurers to unlock real value from their business now this will require four dimensions as as, as i see it and i want you to comment on these dimensions whether they make sense they don't make sense first technology and business need complete alignment robust you know biz tech alignment can be achieved by adopting agile ways of working and increasingly collaboration between the two functions secondly core technology processes need to be revamped to ensure efficiency as well as effectiveness thirdly insurers need to think hard about technology organization and people they need to identify the key skill sets and capabilities that will be needed in the long run and make a strategic choice on whether to outsource these capabilities or keep them in house and further the technology organization needs to be designed so that new strategic projects continue in balance with business as usual projects so the question to you therefore is are we looking at a movement from an insurance company to a tech company i'm saying 26 insurers life insurers about 23 general insurers 13 or 14 i've lost the count on uh, on health insurance everybody is talking digitization we are talking insure tech we are talking you know aggregators what happens to all these insurance companies that if 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 digitization customization leveraging data and you've got 20 years of information all these companies over since since privatization is there a scope world over or even from an indian perspective moving from an insurance company to a tech company i mean what is the path i mean it's a your thoughts so 
Suresh, I guess uh, I don't think there is any doubt. If companies are not comfortable with technology, they will actually start losing ground. So let me take an example of a company which just decided that data and tech was going to be their future. And tell sure. me, let me tell you what is the art of the possible and then say, what's the journey? Because I don't think it's sure. a one zero. Sure. So there's this interesting company called the Climate Corporation. Okay. Right. And uh, this started in the US. This was, I forget how many, but it was a couple of Google employees who quit Google and they said, you know, we're going to start an insurance business. Okay. Now, obviously, insurance companies have said that, you know, insurance is not actually one business, but it's three or four businesses. Right? If you think about insurance, Correct. you think there's a distribution business where you get customers and acquisition business. There's a manufacturing business where you create the products, right? There is a servicing business where you service the customer. So there's the whole BPO business for want of a better word. And then there's an investment business because whatever money you get, you have to invest. So actually, if you think of insurance, there's actually four independent businesses all put together under one house, right? If you think those are the four capabilities that you need. And insurance companies pride themselves on the fact that we are the best at manufacturing. That is the... CPU cool. of the organization, if I call it right. Correct. Distribution, anyway, we are comfortable. Agents are third party, banks are third party partners, so we can outsource that distribution. Operations, anyway, a lot of companies have started outsourcing to BPO entities, so that is also fine. And Correct. investments as well, you could outsource to somebody, right? So they thought that, yeah. but nobody but an insurance company can ever get this manufacturing right. That's the belief. The Climate Corporation challenged that. Okay. So two Google engineers went and collected data this could obviously only happen where there is enough data. So in the US, they tied up with the uh, weather corporations or whatever the, uh, you know, there are all these uh, the weather meters and stuff, you know, every mile and so on in the US. So they mm -hmm. got data and they got the last 20 years data. And they also started getting real-time data from all the uh, weather institutes. They went yeah. and basically bought that data. Mm -hmm. And they said, whatever the insurance company thought they knew about insurance, we will let data replace that. So they okay. actually took this 20 year data. Now they get live data and they started mm -hmm. selling agri insurance. And mm -hmm. it's fascinating. They did away with the processes. So there was no claims process because they now had mm -hmm. data. They knew that Alpesh's farm is in this area. They would get data saying, Kitna hua tha. Mm -hmm. how much was the rainfall? Uh, you know, how much was the snowfall, etc., etc." Was there a cyclone? Wasn't there a cyclone? And mm -hmm. if I had not received a certain amount of rain in that period or whatever, they mm -hmm. would just pay me a claim. I would never have to claim it. Okay. Okay. And so they took all these processes out. They, have it. they were sitting. They could actually do the pricing just based on 20 years of data saying here is historical data and we're picking up the signals from the weather stations. Combining these two, we can actually give you a, a real-time price. But it was a pure data and analytics game. Mm -hmm. That startup was sold for $800 million to Monsanto. Wow. But Monsanto picked it up, not for the insurance business. That's interesting. Mm -hmm. But they said they know so much about these farms and farmers. We will use it to sell fertilizers and seeds and all the other things. And they, use, they bought it for the analytics capabilities. If I now just take that seed of that example and say, to your point, was this an insurance company or was this a tech company? No doubt it was a tech company which also offered insurance. And then Monsanto decided they would use this tech company to offer agri-produce as well. Right? Or seeds and fertilizers in the works. So to your point, can you actually envisage this as a tech business which offers insurance? The answer is yes. Okay. But is that the only thing that will survive? The answer is no. Right? The reality is always somewhere in between. So you will have to learn technology. So if I go back to your four points, right? Will technology and business have to talk to each other? The answer is certainly yes. This is not about the tech guys running that. It has to be the business guys saying, here is what we want to offer and the tech guys enabling that. Right? Will you have to look at a complete revamp of all processes? The answer is over time, yes. Customer processes, agent processes, internal processes, everything will get revamped and it is getting revamped. Right? You look at it today, there are already a lot of companies which pick up, you know, even in India, which allow customers to take pictures of their cars and send that across and you can actually get a claim processed. Right. right. So yes, the movement has begun. The question is, can we make it more comprehensive, more end-to-end? -end? To your question, should you outsource the technology and the people? I have a strong point of view. That will end up being one of the biggest differentiators. So like insurance companies in the past said, manufacturing 
and underwriting is my biggest differentiator i think going forward technology will also be a big differentiator so i would say outsource that at your peril because then you become everybody has the same right this is not like an it product that you can pick up from infosys and say i because that is going to be a key part of differentiation uh, so i would say that's the situation that i see which says yes all of us as insurance business if i take every insurance business we will have to be at least partly tech businesses the question is will you become fully tech businesses also doing insurance i think that's some way away but we will have to be very conversant very comfortable uh, in being tech so will we have to become bionic the answer is yes we are all going to be bionic companies but do you think the regulatory environment also has to be uh, supportive of, uh, of some of these because there have been few insurance general insurance companies who have approached it from at least a, an approach towards a pure tech play uh, but regulations do make it difficult for you to balance both do you see that changing quickly and uh, before you answer uh, participants please ask please put your questions on the qna mode i'll ask on page we have already 45 minutes into discussion uh, i need to stop the clock at about 4 410 i can stretch it a little i'm asking like i said it's very difficult to get alpesh and answer all questions in bfi in one hour probably it requires at least 4 to 5 hours to uh, do a decent job but alpesh go ahead so uh, answer is i think the regulator if i take specifically insurance and ind as well yes they are playing catch up but uh, they are i would say aware of this you see a lot of the regulation the recent past whether it's the sandbox you know that they have started they are actually i would say open to looking at what the future holds you know we've had multiple discussions as insurance companies and i'm saying you know as a consultant as well so there is i would say appreciation understanding we can always argue are they moving fast enough are they you know taking you know all the right you know enough steps uh, but i agree with you i think you know the regulators also beginning to realize and they have taken i would say at least a few steps in the right direction uh, the pace is something that we can always debate how fast we can move ahead of that correct alpesh so i i will move on to few questions on leadership sure. uh, I, i think we'll have to get you back again on a uh, uh, topic level discussions you know to to utilize your knowledge and tell what are some key challenges you are facing that you see in your consulting assignment when you're interacting with multiple uh, ceos in the bfsi industry what kind of challenges they're facing and how are they coping with it and what leadership attributes are they trying to inculcate and as a lead on question uh, if you have to pick one attribute of leadership as a key differentiator to make impact what would that be so i would say actually the challenges are multiple let me try and pick the top 3 or 4 so the first one is just how do you deal with all this uncertainty okay dealing with uncertainty so to give you how difficult that is right steve barmel who is actually a very good ceo in 2007 went on record and he was quoted saying iphone will not succeed in this world mm-hmm. uh, it will not sell more than a million phones mm-hmm. but who the hell wants to play games on you know, all this stuff on game phone right as they say famous last words right that was 2007 today there are close to a billion iphones out there in the world right correct and you i can go on the list is long right because margaret thatcher in 73 said no woman is ever going to make prime minister she was so frustrated mm-hmm. five years later she was the prime minister in the uk right so so right. just how do you deal with this uncertainty if you take the top 30 bse companies you look mm-hmm. at the companies in 2000 look at how many of them are remaining today the answer is 10 out of 30 right so positions right. change very quickly so how do you deal with this rapidly changing world so that's one and obviously the way to deal with that is how you know people keep talking of agility and agile means of operations but what does that really mean it's good to say agile and people think it's an it term it's not agility and being agile in operations is about how do you look at businesses right how do you think about running businesses how can you really stay agile and it's not a fitness term as well right i'm an agile human being as a fit human but Correct. it's saying how do you make organizations that are agile in decision making that are agile in investments that are agile in uh, experimentation you hear all this nice consulting jargon which, which says you know be agile uh, if you have to you know fail fail fast and fail cheap right true very easy true. to say but yeah. how does a leader how does a ceo actually make that happen right 
So I said, those are the two things that I really think are the biggest challenges, right? And if people who do that well, will actually always come out stronger. And the challenge that is actually linked to the previous question, you're talking about BAU plus tech, right? How yeah. do you continue BAU running as well as plan for the next three to five years out, right? How do you actually invest for that as well? And so imagine this is like, uh, you know, I joke, but this is like doing the Bombay airport, right? Mm. How do you do redo the Bombay airport when you're living in there versus doing the Bangalore airport? Mm. When you're, you know, Bangalore mm. airport, you buy a new space some 50 kilometers out and you do it up. It's actually very easy to do it. Correct. But when you have to literally change and redo the airport while you're using it, it's not straightforward. Okay. Right. So I think that's the biggest challenge in front of leadership. Uh, how do you keep doing, you know, quarter and quarter, year and year, good business while planning for all the shifts that are happening in the three, five year horizon, right? True. So Alpesh, mentally, physically, how do you keep yourself up to speed these days? I know you've got long working hours. You're working longer than uh, what you were working while, while at office. I know your travel time has reduced, but net-net your uh, amount of time that you spend on work is far higher is what I understand. So is that correct? So how do you keep yourself fit? Unfortunately, it is correct. I would like to change <laughs> that, but it's, it is correct. So I would say two or three things, right? Uh, mentally first, I think two things help. One, I have to keep reminding myself how privileged I am. As you look around, you know, it's always good to feel bad about, or it's, you know, it's easy to feel bad about how tough life is. But when you look around, I realize how good life is. For me. So I'm really privileged and I have to keep reminding myself of that every day. Two, actually getting time with the family. I have never played as many board games with my family as now. You know, I have... 13 meals now with the family every week. There's the odd one which I get stuck in some meetings, but I actually end up having 13 meals with the family. That's a, it's a big stress reliever. So I would say that's on the mental side. Right? Those two things really help, right? Reminding yourself how privileged you are and getting more time with friends and you know with family. And I think on the physical side, uh, I love running. I'm a passionate runner. I run uh, literally five to six days a week. Wow. And uh, so I've now got into this routine where I you know, my wife and I go for a walk every morning. We spend 45 minutes to an hour walking, which is our me time to catch up. And then every evening I go for a run, which is my, my me time to catch up with myself. So I make sure I get the one and a half to two hours for myself. And that keeps me both fit physically and mentally as well. So, yeah. Were you doing this pre-COVID also? Or this is, uh... Pre-COVID, it was about an 45 minutes to an hour. It's now doubled. I have more time. So I thought all the time I saved in travel, I should at least give myself an extra hour back every day. So. Alpesh, let me take some questions now. We are really running short of time. I, I, I still haven't exhausted all my questions, but nonetheless. This is a question from Mani Padmanabham. Banking is still too traditional, as you rightly said. They don't understand IP assets and financing. Funding is still a process. That, that too is too uh, ring-fenced by hard collaterals and past history. Do we see a future where venture debts become norm and businesses get financed based on future cash flows instead of past cash flows? Uh, so Mani, this is a, I guess, an important distinction. Let me give you, I would say in principle, yes, or in direction, yes. The challenge has always been, how do you believe the data? Can you trust the data that you get, right? Whether it's a small business, a large business, again, with all this uncertainty that I'm talking about, what, how good are the predictions? You know, where, how do you predict future cash flows, right? So when I was buying, in fact, the apartment that I'm sitting in, uh, I had an interesting discussion with one of the banks and I was looking for a loan and to cut a long story short, there was a mm. bank A which said, Alpesh, basis your income, we can't give you a loan for this one. Uh, but a uh, bank B, uh, and I will not name A or B, who just said, Alpesh, on a white piece of paper, why don't you write that you can service this loan? So I took a white sheet of paper, a blank sheet of paper, and I wrote it and I signed it. And he said, just give me the date. I wrote the date. Uh, this was 2009. And uh, he said, okay, the loan is sanctioned. So I remember distinctly at that point of time, I was very uncomfortable. So I actually called the, you know, I knew the CEO of the company. So I called the CEO of the company saying, how the hell did you figure out I was looking for a loan? He says, what do you mean? I said, how can you just sanction this loan uh, without any paperwork? And he made exactly the point that you're making money. He says, you know, the sad part is, you know, you are actually sort of growing in life and your 
cash flow, as you said, if I take it as a business or an individual, is improving every year. Unfortunately, we take the year, last three years tax returns and we try to give you a loan basis that, not on your next three years tax returns. Uh, so, you know, in principle, I could argue saying that some people have been doing a version of this, albeit with just judgment. Uh, the question is, will we ever have data money? And that's a tricky one, right? How do you predict future cash flows? How do you know that Alpesh is going to continue growing or not growing? Right? How do you predict that the company is going to continue growing or not growing, right? Uh, so I would say it's a tricky one. So yes, we will all have to form our thumb rules and do this. But I don't think it will become the norm. So I don't think this is something that you can you know, put on an Excel because then gets the game of projections. Do you take the past five years of Excel and project it out or do you actually try and do something different? So it's a tricky one, but I would say that in principle, I would say it's already happening with the uh, the smarter lenders. Uh, people are forming that judgment call on that. So. so Mani, I hope you got your answer to that question. There's another question from Reshma Huja. Is this post-pandemic situation, in this post-pandemic situation, do you see a better scope for startups vis-a-vis uh, the big four? But on what is this big four and what? So is this? The... I, so I, I think the, 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 the mood question would be uh, ignoring the big four. Uh, do you see better scope for startups? I mean, is there an opportunity for startups to, uh, you know, capitalize on this opportunity in multiple areas? So do you see, you, do you see a lot of uh, startups mushrooming in different areas? And let's take the BFSI industries, so health, you know, and health, there are lots of uh, tech startups that are happening. So I think uh, it's a difficult one because it's, I would say it's a yes and no. I'll tell you why. So because of all the changes that are happening or are they are being forced by COVID, yes, people are looking for alternate options. People are looking for newer ways of doing things. People are looking for more innovative ways of doing things. So is there a, a need for more startups? The answer is yes. But the reason I say no as well at the same time is you know, the funding for startups is also drying up, right? Because if you actually look at it right now, people are also more worried saying, how will this pan out because of the uncertainty? Mm -hmm. So it's not a one zero to say now startups will win all the way, but it's also not a zero saying they will not because the need for what uh, an innovative thought process can provide is actually just multiplied. Mm -hmm. Whether that can get translated into outcomes and delivery is up to the startup. So yes, I don't think it has changed a credible startup with a credible offering with a credible delivery, uh, I think uh, it's as big, if not more. So to your point, if at all, it's greater than equal to, I don't think it's less than before the pandemic. But uh, on the same, does the changing consumer behavior uh, allow you to look at newer ways of looking at things? Absolutely. But again, it's a question of, do you have the credibility? So to your point, right? Uh, the consumer behavior has anyway been shifting you know, over time what the pandemic has done is it has accelerated some trends. So for yeah. example, if I take, you know, you know, we do, like I said, this research of 20, 25,000 customers every year. One of the big trends we noticed was the willingness of a segment of customers to rent versus buy. Mm -hmm. And so I find it very strange, but people are now buying cam you know, renting cameras when they go for vacation saying, otherwise the phone is good enough. But I just rent a camera for a week when I go for a vacation, right? Strange mm -hmm. it may sound. This has nothing to do with the pandemic, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but if I just take and build that example further, the same way Uber mm -hmm. or Ola is a way of renting a car for an hour True. without buying it, right? Correct. And just to give you an idea of the kind of impact that can have, uh, you know, for the New York yellow cabs, the license used to cost 200000 in 2004. The license of a New York yellow cab used to go, the going rate was $200,000. I mean, it's wacky, right? That number had gone all the way to a million dollars in 2014. So imagine the license for a cab in New York was being sold for a million dollars. Even Bombay was expensive. Nowhere close, but it was expensive. Correct. From 14, because Uber happened in 13, or around that time frame, the price started falling. The price of the yellow cab license in New York is now down to less than 200,000 from a million. And that is the power of, as you said, the customers willing to rent versus buy. Correct. 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 Right? Correct. And so it's a it's an interesting one. So I agree with you. I think that is forcing people to think of new businesses, new business models. So yes, there's a larger opportunity for startups. But like I said, it's the reason I say it's still a it's a measured uh, yay is because uh, funding is not as straightforward right now. Alpesh, in the interest of your time and everybody's time, I I normally do not exceed time, and I have exceeded time. It's because it's Alpesh, and there are lots of questions I still have, which obviously. 
due to lack of time but really appreciate you taking time and sharing uh, the knowledge about the bfsi industry and i and i think you made very interesting point on three things that people should look at which is digitization customization and leveraging data and even if companies make a beginning to address some of those things and start the path towards technology orientation i think the next normal in the bfsi industry would have probably been started uh, uh, to be achieved thank you so much alpesh before we conclude if there's anything that you would like to say to conclude but otherwise thank you so much any parting uh, closing remarks from your side no all i can say is thank you suresh thank you for being a great uh, host and a partner and uh, to everybody else uh, listening on to this uh, stay safe it is an interesting time that we are going through but yeah thank you very much thank you alpesh thank you so much thank you for your time thank you thank you